I'm excited because today we're starting a brand new message series called Encounters with Jesus. Uh, speaking of invitational opportunities, anytime we are kind of on the front end of a new message series, great time. Great time to invite somebody to tune in, watch with you online. If you're coming to the outdoor services in the evening, invite them to come with you to be a part of that with you. I think it's going to be a good series. And the reason that I think this series is going to be really important for us is that no matter what your worldview is or no matter what you believe spiritually in your life right now, we, we all just instinctively know that something is wrong with our world, don't we? I mean, it, you just, it doesn't take long. If you turn on the news, if you flip through social media, just the anger, the division, the, the, the violence, everything that's going on in our world right now, we, we all know something is wrong. Like, this is not the way that it ought to be. And if we're honest, we know that there's something also just not quite right inside of us, something that's broken inside of us. We just, we, we all know that. No matter what you believe, no matter what religion you follow, no matter if you're an atheist, we all just kind of instinctively know that. And so the question then becomes, what's missing? What's missing and how, how can we fix everything that seems to be broken both inside of us and outside of us in the world? Why is it that everything that we chase in this life that we think is going to fix us, we think that ultimately is going to satisfy us when we finally get that thing or achieve that thing, it never actually satisfies. Have you noticed that? We all have these things that we just kind of have in our mind. Man, if I could just achieve this, if I could just get this, if I could just have this job, enough money, and marry this person, or do that, or whatever, I'm finally going to feel satisfied and full inside, and that void's going to go away. And then we, we begin to achieve those things in life as we get older, and, and we realize that every time we hit one of those milestones, we're still just as empty. It, don't, it doesn't satisfy. I think I've told you, this, you guys this story before, but when I turned 16, my, my first car was a 1982 Buick Regal. And I don't know if you've ever seen one of those, but it's, it's not like the epitome of cool, right? Even back in the, the mid-90s when I was driving this thing around, it was actually my grandma's car, if that tells you anything. And I bought it from her for a couple hundred bucks. And that, that was my first car. And it was embarrassing, honestly, at 16 years old to, to drive this old hoopty kind of kind of grandma car to school. In fact, my friends wouldn't ride with me because it was so embarrassing uh, when, I, when I drive my sister to school, whenever we pull into the parking lot, she would actually duck down so nobody would actually see her in the car with me in this Buick Regal. And so, man, I really worked hard after that. I wanted to get a sports car. I wanted to have something cool and something fast. And so I worked and I saved up my money. And after about a year, I, I finally bought a sports car, right? And so I was super excited. I got, got a Mazda RX-7, man, five-speed, fast little car. It was cool. And I was so excited. And that, I thought, man, that was, if I could just get that sports car, it's going to kind of fill this void inside of me. I'm going to have better self-esteem. And, uh, man, I'll be able to get the girls with that. And so I had all these images in my mind of what that new car, what that sports car was going to do for me. And then I got it, and it worked. Like, I felt better about myself, and I had better self-image, and I had more confidence. I wasn't ashamed pulling in to the school parking lot anymore. And that lasted for about a month. Yeah, so, so for about a month, man, it kind of changed my life. And after that, it was just like I didn't care anymore. It's just, it was another car. And that's how these things always work. We think that that relationship or that person or that car, or the new iPhone or whatever it is, is going to satisfy. It's going to fix what's broken inside of us. And then we get it and it kind of works for a minute. And then it fades away. It never works. So I don't know if you've noticed that. I've noticed that in my own life. I just want to share with you an excerpt. Uh, since we're right on the cusp of uh, football season, hopefully starting next weekend, uh, Tom Brady, right, the, the quarterback goat, right, he's with a new team 
this year. And this is an old interview. This is actually when he was really young. He just won his, his third Super Bowl. And this is an interview. I just want to kind of read an excerpt from, from this interview from Tom Brady, considered widely maybe the best quarterback in the history of football, wealthy, married to a supermodel, huge, you know, multi-million dollar mansion. Everything we think would satisfy us in this world, this dude has, like in spades, right? Multi-millionaire, the whole, the whole nine yards. This is what he says. He says this, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this, this is what it is. I, I reached my goal, my dream, my life. But me, I think, God, it's, it's gotta be more than this. I mean, th- this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. I mean, I, I've done it all. I'm, I'm 27. What else is there for me? And the interviewer asked Brady, well, what, what do you think the answer is? Listen to Brady's answer. He said, I, I wish I knew. I wish I knew what the answer is. David Foster Wallace, he's been called one of the greatest novelists of our generation. Dude's not a Christian, uh, not a believer, read up on him a lot this weekend, kind of studying. Uh, as far as I can tell, he's, he was agnostic. Um, and once, once he said this in an interview after, after reaching the, the top of his profession, I mean, we're gonna put this on the screen for you. I want you to see what, what he says. He says this, uh, every, everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you never have enough. You never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before your loved ones finally plant you. Worship power, and you will end up feeling weak and afraid, and you will need ever more power over others to numb your own fear. Worship your intellect. Being seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. Look, the insidious thing about these forms of worship is not that they are evil or sinful, though I would argue they are, It is that they are unconscious. They are default settings. Now, Wallace took his own life just a couple of years after giving this interview. Something, as he said, ate him alive. Now, I don't know what it was that Wallace chose to worship in his life, whether it was fame or success as a novelist or a writer or whatever it was, but whatever he chose to worship, even though he knew he was chasing after something that couldn't satisfy him, eventually ate him alive. There's something missing and something broken inside all of us. So the main question is this, what can fix what's broken within each one of us? If it's not, if it's not what Wallace had and Brady had, if, it, if it's not money, if, if the answer is not fame or, or sex or power or influence or, or being admired, then what's the fix? And I think by looking at some of the encounters that Jesus had with people in the Gospels, we'll discover that Jesus not only exposes what's missing inside of us, but he actually offers a lasting solution that, solution that nothing else in this world can. This week, we're gonna look at Jesus' encounters with two individuals, a, a social outcast 
and then kind of a religious insider. So we got an outsider and an insider. And although these two people couldn't be more different, and though Jesus kind of engages them in completely different ways, he offers them ultimately the same solution to their inner brokenness. Now, just to let you know, throughout this series, I'm uh, indebted to Tim Keller, who wrote a book aptly called uh, Encounters with Jesus. I promise you, I chose that, that sermon series title before I knew this book existed. I actually went and started searching online and found this book, um, but he's been definitely very influential in my, my thinking throughout uh, this series. Uh, this first encounter that we're gonna look at is actually found in John chapter four. And so if you have your Bible at home, let me encourage you, go ahead and open up John's gospel, chapter four, make your way there. This is the longest recorded encounter Jesus has with somebody, longest recorded conversation. It's probably one of the most famous encounters Jesus ever had. It's commonly known as the story of the woman at the well. So, so here's, here's the backdrop to the scene. Jesus is, is traveling with his disciples from Judea north to Galilee. Right now, now, here's the really fascinating thing. There was actually another route to get to Galilee to the east. In fact, most Jews took this other route because it avoided Samaria, right? No, Jesus chose to take this one particular route that would necessarily take them through the mountains of Samaria. You say, well, what's the big deal about going through Samaria? Well, I'm glad you asked. The Jews and the Samaritans absolutely hated each other. They despised each other. Samaritans were uh, Jewish people that were kind of left behind in the exile and, and they intermarried with pagan people and they kind of married the Jewish religion with all these other pagan religions. And so the Jews considered the Samaritans to be half-breeds, to be sellouts, and to be heretics, like all rolled into one. And so Jews and Samaritans, they didn't interact with each other. There, there was just this kind of base level of hatred and distrust to, towards one another. They didn't like each other at all. And so certainly you never would have seen a Jewish man speaking to a Samaritan woman alone. Like that, that would have been absolutely scandalous, like unfathomable, would never happen in a million years. So we tend to read stories like this and we just don't think it's a big deal, but we gotta understand the culture of the day. This would have been an incredibly massive deal, unheard of, right? So they're on this long journey heading north towards Galilee and uh, it's, it's middle of the day, it's noon. They've been, they've been hiking up this mountain for hours and hours and hours. Jesus is beat, right? It's, it's, it's hot, he's tired, he's hungry, He's thirsty, and so they, they stop by this water well. Jesus just, like, he can't go any, anymore, and he, he kind of sits down to rest, and the disciples leave him to go find some food in the city. And that's kind of the scene that is set for us in John chapter 4. So let's, let's kind of pick up the story, John 4, starting in verse 7. It says this, A woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, so this is, this is already getting scandalous because he's, he's talking to her. Jesus said to her, give, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? So she's, she's shocked. Like, why? This shouldn't be, what is going on here? Why is this guy talking to me? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. That's what we just talked about. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to even draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? 
Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well. He drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now, right off the bat, I just want, to know, want you to notice how, how gently Jesus begins this conversation. He engages this woman, right? Who, again, as we've said, this woman is a, a social outcast. The, the first clue that we get that she's a social outcast is that she's actually drawing water at noon in the heat of the day. Even in Africa, uh, Middle East, if you take a mission trip over there, if you're in a culture where they still have uh, water wells, um, they, they, women will go to these wells to, to get water for the, the day, chores and drinking water, all that kind of stuff. They go early in the morning, even, even today, that's the custom. So six o'clock in the morning, seven o'clock in the morning, oftentimes this is kind of a social time for the women in the city. It's kind of their water cooler. So they're kind of talking to each other early in the morning as they fill up, getting their water. Listen, nobody in that day or even in this day in cultures that still live like this, nobody goes to get water from the well in the heat of the day. Nobody go unless somebody is trying to avoid being seen. Unless somebody is trying to avoid being talked to or talked about. And so what this lady is doing is she's trying to hide. By going at noon, by going in the heat of the day, she's trying to hide. She doesn't want to be seen. She doesn't want to be talked about or made fun of or mocked. And so she shows up hoping to be invisible and Jesus is there. And not only is this Jewish man there, he actually begins to speak with her. He engages her in conversation, which again is shocking to her. And Jesus engages her in this conversation, which kind of culminates in Jesus offering to give her living water, the kind of water that would satisfy her deepest thirst and longing forever. Now, I love her response to Jesus' offer. So look, look at her response in verse 15. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water again. So she, she's like, Jesus, I, I'm in. <laughs> I mean, I, I want this living water that you're talking about. I'm tired of coming here in the middle of the day, in the heat of the day, trying to hide from everybody because I got this reputation and I'm an outcast. Like, I want this living water so I never have to come here again. I'm in. All right, so she, she's in. I'm on team living water. I'm on team Jesus. And if you're like me, you're kind of reading this and you're thinking like, okay, Jesus, you did it, man. Mission accomplished. Seal the deal, right? Go ahead, go ahead and wrap it up. She's in. Get her to fill out a connect card. Get her to sign up for the new members class. Join a community group. Like she's in. Mission, woman at the well, is accomplished. But Jesus isn't done yet. He, he pushes beyond that. He says, yeah, listen, I, I'll, I'll give you, if you read on in the text, he says, I'll, I'll give you this living water that you want so much. But first, I want you to bring your husband. I'd like to chat with your husband. And the Samaritan woman says, well, I've, I, Jesus, I've got, I've got no husband. And Jesus says, you're, <laughs> you're exactly right. You have no husband. You've actually had five husbands. And the dude that you're living with, shacking up with, sleeping with right now, he's not even your husband, is he? Right? He, he begins to kind of tell her her whole life. And she responds, I love this. She responds by saying, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. <laughs> now, now, what's going on here? Is Jesus being cruel to her? Is Jesus kind of being a jerk? Why, why is Jesus exposing 
the thing that makes her most self-conscious, the thing that she's most ashamed of in her life. Like, why, why is Jesus pressing on this deep wound that she has here? Isn't, isn't this cruel? And here, here, here's why it's not cruel, and, and, and I would argue this, it's actually, what Jesus is doing here is incredibly loving. And, and here's really the first truth this morning I think that we all need to come to grips with when we encounter Jesus, and it was the truth that she was being confronted with. Truth number one from the text is, what is hidden cannot be healed. That was true for her, and that's true for you. And it's true for me. What is hidden can never be healed. Listen, your, your deepest idols, your deepest wounds have to be exposed in order to be healed. Right, like that, that's the paradox of, of the spiritual healing that Jesus is offering here, right? Because we tend to think, man, if we just bury something deep enough, long enough, it will go away. But that is never the way it actually works, right? Because that, that idol or that wound is always kind of lurking in the darkness of our minds, always whispering to us that we're a fraud, always telling us that, man, if people really knew what you were like and what you were about, man, they would, they would be disgusted, they would reject you, they would hate you. That little voice is always gonna be lurking, telling you that God could never love someone as messed up and damaged as you are. And it's not until we allow God to surface these deep idols and deal with those secret addictions, those false beliefs that the right job or the right amount of money or the right guy or the right girl is gonna fix what is broken inside of us. It's not not until we allow God to expose those things and unearth those things in our hearts and deal with them that we can actually experience freedom and healing. Listen, friend, heart, heart issues are always healed from the inside, not the outside. So we think all these things on the outside are, are gonna heal what's broken inside, but that is just not the way it works. Heart issues are always healed from the inside, never from the outside. So th- think about this poor outcast of a woman. Clearly, her idol, her one thing is, is men. It's, it's relationships with men, right? So that's why she's running from marriage to marriage, relationship to relationship, likely being used by some of these guys. And, and she's developed in her city a bit of a reputation, which again is why she's getting water at noon. She's hiding, she's ashamed, she's an outcast. And as long as she keeps that idol buried and she doesn't deal with it, she will remain a slave to it. And, and you see, Jesus loves her enough not just to engage her in compassionate conversation. He actually loves her enough, painful as it may be in the moment, to drag her deepest idol to the surface so that she could be set free from it. So that she could taste this living water, this eternal life that Jesus is offering her. Now, if you read on the rest of the chapter, this woman believes She ends up running to the village and she begins to tell everybody she can find about this Jesus guy that just told her everything about her life, right? She's just telling everybody, you gotta gotta come see, I think we found the Messiah, this guy knew everything about me, you gotta gotta come hear this guy, right? Now notice, at this point, she's been set free. One encounter with Jesus, she goes from hiding to she doesn't care anymore. She's running down the city streets telling everybody about this Jesus guy. She's been liberated by this encounter with Jesus. And the story tells us that many Samaritans end up believing and following Jesus because of her testimony. Listen, 
Friend, Jesus is for the outcast. He's for the outcast. He's for the sinner. He's for the messy person with a messy past. And so if you're tuned into this right now and, that, and that's you, I just I simply want you to know Jesus came for you. And maybe that's why you're watching this right now. You thought you were just kind of tuning in because you were scrolling through and it came across your feed, but maybe that's actually why you're watching this right now is Jesus wants you to know that he came for you. He didn't come for some future cleaned up version of you. He came for you right now in this moment right where you are and he offers you the same thing he offered this woman at the well all those years ago living water that will quench your thirst the things that you've been trying to fill he can fill in your life now I want to show you one more encounter with Jesus and then we'll begin to wrap it up this one is John 3 so you just flip flip back uh, one chapter John chapter 3 and this is an encounter with uh, an insider so she's the outcast She's rejected by society. This is, this is an encounter with a man who had it all. Um, so verse one says this, John chapter three. It says, now there, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So right off the bat, power, powerful dude. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher. Come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, how, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered again, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven or God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. And so unlike the Samaritan woman who was an outcast, here we have Nicodemus, who is the popular kid, right? He, he's an insider. He's, he's educated. He's, he's popular. He's well-respected in this city, right? He's kind of this religious guru, probably had some level of wealth. And on top of that, what's more than that, he's a moral guy, He's, he's what the world would call a good person, right? He comes to Jesus at, at night because he doesn't want people to see him having this conversation with Jesus. And I think he probably comes to him because he's curious, right? He's thinking, man, I gotta find out if this Jesus guy is the real deal. Man, he's, he's out here doing all these miracles. Is this guy the Messiah we've been waiting on? And Jesus goes right for the jugular with Nicodemus. Now, I want you to notice the different approaches, right? He was, he was gentle with a Samaritan woman at the well. He's like a, he's like a bulldog with Nicodemus, right? There, there are no pleasantries exchanged here. There's no, how are you? Hey, can you, can you please give me some water? No, he, he just looks right at Nicodemus and says, hey, listen, you gotta be born again to enter in my kingdom. And Nicodemus is confused by this because he's thinking about this literally. And he's like, Jesus, what are you, man, what are you talking about? I'm an old man. I'm a, I'm a grown man. How can an old man be born again? Am I supposed to like go into my mother's womb to be born? Like that doesn't even make, what are you talking about, Jesus? And Jesus looked at Nicodemus and essentially says, hey, Nicodemus, my man, that, that which is born from the flesh is flesh. And that which is born from the spirit is spirit. And what he was trying to say to this moral guy, this good man is Nicodemus, listen, what, what part did you play in your physical birth? 
Like when, you're, when your mom gave birth to you, what, what did you contribute to that? Like nothing. You just, you showed up. The, the only thing you contributed to that experience was maybe some, some pain for your mother who was in labor. And Jesus is saying, listen, spiritual birth is the same way. It, it's a gift of faith, man. You can't do anything. You can't earn it. In other words, Nicodemus, you're, you're trying to, to make it by being a, a good person. You're trying, trying to make up by being a moral dude, by, by doing more good things than bad things in your life, by following all the rules. But Nicodemus, you're, you're missing the whole point, man. You, you can't earn your way into my kingdom by being a good person. Just like you had to be physically born into this world, you have to be born spiritually into my kingdom. Nicodemus, you have to be, you have to be born again. See, man, you, you, don't, you don't just need outward goodness in your life. You need, you need a new heart. You, you need, you need a, a new birth, and I'm the only one who can do that for you, Nicodemus. Now, see, the Samaritan woman, Nic- Nicodemus, they, they really couldn't be more different. And yet, for both of them, Jesus exposes their one thing, right? Now, their, their idols, the things that they were chasing to try to fix what's broken inside— were completely different. But Jesus exposes that one thing for each of them that they're clinging to for hope and satisfaction. Now, one of them is, is searching for the fix to their brokenness in sex and relationships. The other is searching for it in moralism, or what we, most people would say, I'm just trying to be a good person in today's culture. I'm just trying to, I'm just gonna be a good person. And Jesus looks at both of them and says, listen, guys, you're, you're chasing the wrong thing. You're chasing the wind. You are not gonna find what your soul thirsts for in relationships or sex or being viewed by a good person, by the world around you or your friends. And listen, let's, let's be honest. These, these two things are still probably the primary ways that people in 2020 seek to fill that same void. People chase happiness in relationships all the time. They just think, man, if I could just, if I could just find the right guy, right boyfriend to marry I can just find that, that right girl, then, then man, they, they will complete me and, and, and then I'll be happy and this void inside of me will be filled and we can live happily ever after. But, but married folks, what, what happens? You, you find that guy finally, you find that girl finally that you thought would fix you and <clears throat> you date for a while. Maybe you get married and one day you just wake up and you realize that you are just as broken and empty as you ever were. And now you're just living with another broken and empty person, which actually just sort of heightens that sense inside of both of you. It will not, will not satisfy you, man. I, I've said this to you guys before. I, listen, I, I adore my wife, Cheryl. I, I adore her. She, she is my highest treasure in this life, on this earth, but she cannot ever fix what is broken inside of me. She cannot satisfy me at a soul level any more than I can do that for her. And yet we constantly search for this fix to the brokenness inside of us through relationships and we think that somebody else is gonna fix what is broken inside of us when only God can fix what is broken inside of us. And so a ton of us are this morning we are that Samaritan woman at the well. We're under this delusion that relationships or sex or whatever it is can fix what's broken inside, but it's just chasing after the wind. 
And also, a ton of people in our culture fall into the Nicodemus trap. Right? I hear this, hear this all the time. Man, I, I don't need religion. Man, I, I don't need church. I don't need Jesus. I mean, if you, if you want to follow Jesus, that, that's good for you. That's great. But, and this is what you hear all the time. But I'm a, I'm a what? I'm a good person. I'm a good person, man. I maybe you're really bad and wicked and maybe you're weak emotionally and spiritually, so you need, you need that crutch for you, but not me, man. I'm a good person. I'm not a bad person, man. If, if there ends up being a God, and I don't know if there is, if there's some higher power, we'll be cool in the end, man, because like, I'm not a racist. I haven't, I haven't killed anybody. I don't sleep around all the time. I, I recycle, I vote. I'm sweet to stray puppies I see on the street. I don't kick them. I'm a good person. I'll be all right in the end. And Jesus is saying to us, no, 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 no. No, you, you need a new heart. You need a new birth. You need living water. Because all this outward stuff that, that you're doing that you think is gonna make you a good person and make you all right if there's a, a God, all that is is like putting makeup on a corpse. You are still dead inside. And Jesus is saying, you need a new heart and a new life, and I'm the only one who can give that to you. So let me ask you a question. If you're tuned in, you're watching, what, what's your one thing? What's your one thing? For the woman at the well, it was looking for satisfaction in relationships. That was her one thing. For Nicodemus, his one thing was trying to be a good person. Trying to get to God, but doing more good stuff than bad stuff. That was his one thing. What's your one thing, friend? This might, be, might, might seem kind of weird, but I'm just gonna encourage you. We're just gonna, not long, we're gonna take 30 seconds and even at home, I'm just gonna encourage you to, to bow your head and, and close your eyes and ask God to unearth, like he did for Nicodemus and this woman at the well, to unearth your one thing. So you just ask him right now, 30 seconds, God, please reveal to me what my one thing is that I'm chasing for satisfaction, God. So you pray, 30 seconds. have it some of you didn't even need 30 seconds some of you maybe need to carve out some some time this afternoon to go get alone with God and go sit out in the woods or on your back porch and really contemplate this question and let the Holy Spirit speak into your heart but if you if you have that thing and you you know what that one thing is let me, let me just encourage you to to pray even even right now in this moment and and give it to God just just place it into the the palm of your hands and say God this is this is my one thing. I know this is my one thing. And I, I want to give it to you. Please, please, God, unroot this thing in my heart and replace it with you. Replace it with living water, with a new birth and a new heart, God. So I'd ask you to, to pray that prayer with whatever God un, uncovered in your heart. Now here's, here's, here's how I want to finish. This is, this is really kind of the big idea of the whole message. It's truth number two. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what that one thing is for you, but this is what I do know. Truth number two, Jesus is the only cure. 
Jesus is the only cure, man. I, I, don't, I don't know what your one thing is. I don't know what your one idol is or what your kind of besetting pattern of sin is in your life. I don't know what, what hurt kind of defines you, imprisons you, maybe something that happened to you in the past, something you've done in the past. But I want you to know that only Jesus offers living water and a new birth. Look, the, rea- the reality is we all have a common problem and that's, that's sin. That's what the Bible calls sin. It just means rebellion against God. It's, it's missing the mark. And it can be irreligious sin, like the woman at the well. If you're not a religious person, it's, it's still what we call sin. It could be irreligious sin, or it could be religious sin, like Nicodemus. It's kind of this idea of self-righteousness or, or being a good person. And so we all share a common problem, that's sin. But here's the good news. We all also share a common solution to that problem, and that's Jesus. Because at the end of the day, the only thing that will liberate you and satisfy you deeply is embracing this truth. Friend, listen to me. Is embracing this truth that you have a creator who loves you so much that he was willing to come into this busted up, broken down, jacked up world of ours and live a perfect life that you should have lived and I should have lived. And he died a sacrificial, atoning death to pay for my sins and your sins. He didn't, just, he didn't just stay dead. He actually rose again on the third day to offer us this living water and this new birth. And so if you're out there watching this and you're not a Christian, I just wanna ask you, are, are you willing to repent and place your faith in Jesus? Will you receive this offer of living water in a new birth by beginning a journey, a relationship with your creator through Jesus today. And if that's something that you're interested in, that's something that's just kind of being prompted in your heart, maybe your heart's beating a little bit faster right now, reach out and let us know. There are chat hosts online. We'd love to talk to you about this. We could talk offline about it. Email us, call us. We'd love to talk with you more about that. And listen, if you're tuned in, as many of you are, I know, who are already followers of Jesus, will you commit to giving God whatever that one thing is in your life? Whatever that one idol is so that you can walk in the freedom that God has for you. Let's pray and then we're gonna sing. God, God, thank you for thank you for pursuing us. Even as we pursue other idols, God. That's grace, that's mercy. Thank you for chasing us, not when we got ourselves all cleaned up and perfect and acceptable. Thank you that you chased us down while we were in the muck. We were sinners loving our sin, loving the darkness that kind of characterized our lives that even in that state you loved us enough to come after us God thank you for that thank you for sending Jesus so that we could encounter and experience living water and a new birth God would you help us to remember that the only thing that really matters deeply at the end of the day is knowing and being known by our creator thank you for Jesus 
Thank you for living water. Thank you for the chance to have this new birth. And we pray it all in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen.